Father, we thank you for all of our young people and children. We pray for those who are teaching them this morning, that you will help them to communicate your truth and your love in a way that they can understand, that gets into their hearts. And Father, please open their hearts to receive that word, that they might grow up knowing, loving, trusting, and following you. And Father, now we pray for ourselves too. We thank you for your word. We have it open before us. But we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to receive it not as, as people who think that there's no work to be done, not with hard hearts, but with soft hearts, Lord. Help us that as we stand before the mirror of your word, that we would be conformed more and more to the Lord Jesus Christ and follow his example. So help us this morning, we pray. Amen. So what were online do you think, uh, the most looked-up Bible verses of 2022, last year? What did people go to all those websites and look up? Well, according to Bible Gateway, one of the, the biggest sort of sites for this, in first place, and, and this was looked up um, more than three times more than the next highest, was John 3.16. We, we know that, don't we? It's amazing people have to look that one up still, I would have thought, uh, just to make sure they get it right. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's the gospel in a nutshell. It's wonderful, isn't it? In second place was the oft misunderstood Jeremiah 29.11. It's almost always in second place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. <clears throat> Talk to me if, if, uh, if you don't understand why I'm saying that's oft misunderstood. But these are wonderful verses, actually, that are full of hopeful promises, aren't they? Hope for God's people. And we wish, don't we? Especially in the case of John, John 3.16, uh, that everyone knew them, that everyone understood those wonderful, wonderful truths. But you know what? In my experience, the best-known verse, and oft-quoted verse, amongst non-Christians is probably Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. We had it read to us. Do not judge or you too will be judged. And people seem to know this one in an older Bible version, which, in which it sounds even better. Judge not, lest ye be judged. They know this verse is in the Bible somewhere, and they like to bring it up, especially when they think that Christians are judging them. When we explain that something they do, something that's precious to them, actually is sin... According to the word of God, we, 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 we show them that. They throw out the defense, don't they, very quickly. Who are you to judge me? Makes you think you're so perfect. Doesn't the Bible say, judge not lest ye be judged? It's a good little defense, isn't it? But is that really a faithful use of this verse that we've got open in front of us? Is that what Jesus is saying here? Are we never to call people to, to repent for their sin? Are we never to make judgments about what is right and wrong or good and bad? Are we being told not to do that? Well, this is where reading things in context helps so much. It really does. The best thing to do when someone throws something out like that and, and, and you sit, you're in a spin, you think, well, how do I answer that? It's just, just go look it up. 
Go open it up with them and read what comes before it and after it. Jesus cannot be telling us to never make a judgment about anything. I mean, that would sound weird, wouldn't it? Why can't he be telling telling us that? Because we're going to see, look, even in verse 6, which we had read to us earlier, even in that verse, he's already instructing us to make judgments. In this case, who's a pig and who's a dog? You've got to make a judgment call there, haven't you? You can't treat them all as, as not or all as if they are. To whom should you not cast your pearls? You've got to make a decision. You've got pearls there. That's important. And if you've got your Bible open, you'll also notice in verses 15 to 20, which we will get to, we're instructed to make judgment calls about who's a false teacher. We're supposed to look at the works that they produce and make a judgment call about whether those works are good or bad. So this is certainly not an instruction to never judge full stop. Now, the word for judging used here has a range of meanings. This is, this is the problem. So even in the New Testament, that word to judge is used in at least four ways. You can look up verses, same word used. It can mean to discern, to be discerning, to judge, to judge between things, to discern. It can mean to decide, make a judgment call. It can mean to be judgmental, to be judgy. And it can mean even to condemn So we're going to have to take a careful look at which meanings actually intended here. Now, follow with me then as we're going to look at this whole idea of judging this morning, which is our theme, Uh, and we're going to see a principle here, a principle explicated, a principle illustrated, and a principle differentiated. I stared at a screen far too long this week. (laughs) Those ones came really quickly, I don't know. But I've never used the word explicated before, but I think you know what it means, don't you? Let's look at that one then. A principle explicated, explained. A principle explained to you. Look at verses 1 and 2. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Now, I want to argue that of all the options on the table, guess which one fits the best? The best fit, I think, is to assert here that Jesus is talking about being judgmental. He's talking about being judgmental with people. What we're being warned about is this actually great danger. It's a great warning sign. It's a big flashing light that should go off in your heart. Uh, In being one of those people with a critical spirit who likes to look down on people and make judgments about everyone around you. Got to be very careful about that. Jesus was quick to tell the crowd. So so we had crowds of people suspicious about the things he's doing and saying and, uh, you know, trying to work him out. Uh, He says this to them in John chapter 7. Stop judging by mere appearances and make right judgments. Now, this is familiar sound in our ears, isn't it? Because we know about this whole inside-outside heart and actions thing, don't we? This is a major theme that's been repeated throughout the Sermon on the Mount. That of caring less about appearances and what you look like and more about what's going on in your heart. Are you genuine or are you a, or are you a hypocrite? The long and short of it is that... We are also to do this, not just in looking at our own hearts and our own actions, but actually when we're looking at others also. See, we can't actually see, the problem here is, we can't actually see what's going on in their hearts, 
what their motives are. All we have to do and to go on is their words and actions. So, so we should be really quick to give the benefit of the doubt to people, shouldn't we? We should be very careful and gentle when it comes to passing any kind of judgment. Slow to do it. Now, I will hold my hands up right now, and I'll say I'm certainly guilty of this sin. I wonder if you are. It's very easy to make sweeping statements and judgments about people you barely know, simply on a basis of one or two things you do know, and to sort of write them off. Or, or worse, to make those judgment calls on things that you've merely heard, and you don't actually know for sure. We've got to be so careful here. It is right to be discerning, and we will come on to that before the morning's out. That'll be the third point here. But we mustn't use discernment, which is a good thing in the Bible, isn't it, to be discerning. We mustn't use that as a cover, as a camouflage for actually assassinating people without any valid basis at all. Gossip, which is what that is, really, only ever serves to tear people down and not to build people up. Well, actually, it does build one person up, doesn't it? The gossiper. They get built up. We must beware a critical spirit. Criticism can do huge damage. Instead, we need to take a hard look, and and we're going to look at this now, an interesting thing that you'll see in verse 2. We need to take a long, hard look at the measures that we're using. That's how Jesus puts it across here. That's the way verse 2 expresses it. Just take a look with me. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. Therein is the danger, isn't it? And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We're going to think about what that means. But first, consider what Jesus is saying here in the whole flow of the sermon that he's preaching that we've been now 12 weeks in, by the way. What's come before this? Well, let me remind you. Matthew 5, verse 7. We were back in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Do you remember that little line? I know it's been a while, but you see here that this very principle we're looking at already there in the Beatitudes, a little echo of it. These are the things that the hallmarks, remember, of citizens of God's kingdom, his people. Because they have received staggering, undeserved, fathomless mercy from God, totally undeserved, and if they received it in Jesus Christ, because of that, mercy then, then flows from them to others. They're just, they're merciful. And therefore, they're shown mercy, you see? And again, those perplexing words that we remind you at the end of the Lord's Prayer, chapter 6, verses 14 to 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Remember, that should have made you shudder to hear that. If we've, tru- what's he saying? If we've truly understood the forgiveness of God, his fathomless mercy in judgment, how he's so merciful to us, forgiving us our debts, then we will likewise forgive others. How can you possibly hold on to a debt that someone owes you when God has cancelled the staggeringly huge, unpayable debt of your own sin? How can you do that? To do so, this is the strong medicine here, to do so will betray the fact that you indeed have not really comprehended the gospel yourself. 
You've got to look at your heart. Have I actually understood the gospel? If I can be unforgiving to others? So what are these measures then that Jesus is speaking of in, in verse 2 here of chapter 7? Well, the rabbis, the teachers of Jesus' day, said that God had two measures by which he assessed men. The measure of justice and the measure of mercy. Those are the two measures God used, according to the rabbis. Now, could it be Jesus is actually taking that on here, and he is making a point using that sort of understanding there? What's the measure that you are using when you're assessing others? Which one do you pull out? Judgment or mercy? Which one are you going to use as your measure, your measuring device for people? Are you rigid and critical, making snap judgments about people? Get out the old judgment tool here for measuring. Or are you characterized by always giving the benefit of the doubt? Gentleness, slowness to make these sort of judgment calls. Here's the thing, you see. Think about how Jesus, I think this is what we're supposed to do with this. Think about how he has already taken us through so many parts of the law in this sermon, where we might have judged ourselves as, as doing okay, yeah? Murder, doing okay on that one, so far. Adultery, truthfulness, retaliation, I'm doing all right on these. And then he's repeatedly, he's flattened us with them and showed that actually in your heart you're breaking them. He's shown us the true standards of righteousness to which he, he calls us through him. Have, I, mean, I mean, wasn't your conscience pricked when you heard these things? Wasn't, didn't, you, didn't you feel convicted as the spotlight of God's word struck your heart? I hope so. In the light of that, then, how do you feel now about judging others? That's the question. Would we not be wise to be very slow indeed on passing comment about other people? You see, verse 2 is talking about God's judgment. God's judgment. Same, as, same principle as we've just seen. If you're so quick to judge others, what does that say about your understanding of your own failures, your own shortcomings, your own sin? A heart that is broken by our own sin will surely be reticent to pass judgment on anyone, won't it? And so we're warned here against that judgmental heart. Be very, very careful. And in verses 3 to 5, Jesus is now going to give us a really interesting picture. Have a look with me as we see a principle illustrated here. Verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, there's actually a lot more going on here than you think in this little illustration. But first, let's, let's take in the picture in all of its vivid glory. It's a wonderful little anecdote thing here, isn't it? Bob has a speck. Yes, he has an, has an eyelash or such like. He, he, so he, has, he sees it in, in, in Jim's eye there. You see that? 
He's got his little speck. And, and, and Bob is very keen to help. Jim, let me help you with that eye of yours, he says. Jim could, could benefit from a little help in removing this minor irritation that is in his eye. Yes, he could do with some help. But as Bob approaches, it is hard to miss the fact that there is a plank jammed in his eye. Jim runs away. Bob is a hypocrite. That's what Jesus is saying. A speck in the eye needs removal. That's the first thing I think you need to see here. A speck needs removal, doesn't it? I mean, it's horrible going through the day with a speck in your eye. But the last thing you or I want is, is, is for the ophthalmologist, whatever they're called, to come in with, with an assortment of foreign objects all jammed in their own eye. The point is that there are bound to be things in your and my lives, faults and shortcomings, that need sorting out. We're going, we're going to have those things. And it's right and it's good that we should want to help each other and correct each other. But a hypocrite, one who simply won't admit, won't see their own faults, who pretends to, to actually not have any problems of their own, they're of no use whatsoever, are they? They really aren't. It's very hard to take any correction from someone that you know is just a complete hypocrite. See, criticism can be a very helpful and constructive tool, if it's constructive, yes? Construct, we call it constructive criticism. That's the good, that's the good form of criticism, isn't it? But, but, but harsh criticism, given the wrong way, or, or, or given at the wrong time even, can be absolutely devastating. It just tears down. See, I've, I've pretty much always been involved, in whatever church I've been in, in a, in a culture of giving feedback to preachers. It's an important way that we help each other pick out our, our faults and, and improve things. But listen, when you've just gotten down from preaching, especially when you're a young preacher, for most people, really, you are incredibly vulnerable. You're actually really quite raw from it. I'm, I'm generally, I'm pretty down on myself when I get down from here. I don't need any encouragement to be critical about what I do up here. I, I know hundreds of ways I could have done things better. I've been even sitting down there thinking, I've, I've done it all upside down. I've been playing it all in my head and thinking all the wrong things about this very talk that I'm giving. Straight after preaching is, is really, genuinely, is not the time to give negative feedback. It really isn't. Now, if you care about the preacher, give them a day or so just, just to come down from it all, for the emotions to all go down, for the anxieties and the stresses to all just level out. Before removing a speck from an eye, you've got to think these things through. It is a very delicate operation to do that. Imagine that. You know, you come in very carefully. That's the picture here, isn't it? I think that's why Jesus is using eyes. I mean, it freaks some people out. It's the whole eye thing. I know Sarah freaks out over this. It needs skill, doesn't it? It needs a gentle, steady hand. And it's only possible if you first of all deal with any issues you have in your own eyes first, because otherwise you just can't see what you're doing. You're going to do a huge amount of damage. You've probably heard the old quip, haven't you? When you point the finger at another, you've got three pointing back at you. Just remember that. Really important. If you want to build up your brother or your sister, if you want to do them good, 
Well, you might need, and it can be very helpful to point out the specks that are in their life, but only do so. This is so important. Only do so after you have stood yourself before the all-revealing mirror of God's Word and worked out those planks that are in your own life. We need to do that. We need to be humbled by our own sin so that we can be gentle with others. Do you remember Paul's words to the Galatians in Galatians 6? We did this a couple of years back. Galatians 6 verse 1, it's a great little summary. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. But watch yourself, or you too may be tempted. The principle all just spelled out, isn't it? There's to be gentleness in correction. Correction is to be given by those who are spiritually mature. Those who know their own failures, their own tendencies towards sin. Who know their own hearts. So let's not fall into the trap of hypocrisy and self-deception. Such things help nobody, brothers and sisters. Well, having dealt with the principle of how We ought not to judge others judgmentally. We now move on to a different kind of judgment. So have you got that, all that stuff about judgment? That's a lot of stuff to chew over there. But now we slightly change. That's why I've called this one a principle differentiated, because there's actually something, a different kind. This is another use of the word in this this example here in verse 6. We're being called there, verse 6, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample you under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Now, this is a kind of judgment that we should practice. Not judgmentalism, but discernment. That's what's being talked about here in verse 6. And again, Jesus ties it all up for us in a very memorable picture. Here we have dogs and pigs and pearls. They're great little images for us. Now, on our recent travels, Sarah and I have just come back, we had a couple of lovely uh, walks in, in the wooded uh, Georgia hills. It was lovely. And of course, one of the things that you have to contend with when you go for a walk in the woods in North America, which is not an issue in the Peak District, is the prospect that you might run up against a bear. So you're always seeing Signs like this when you go for a walk in the woods. I mean, clearly, Americans don't really tend to go out very far from their homes, I don't think. Now, from an online guide, this is the advice you're given about bears. Listen. After a bear receives food from a human, it loses its instinctive fear of people. The desire for easy food overcomes its fear. Without this built-in fear, the bear approaches people in search of a quick meal. This makes a bear unpredictable, bold, and dangerous. How dangerous do these bears become? Deadly. A bear that has eaten food provided by a human approaches people with no fear. Fed bears are aggressive and will kill and even eat human remains. Do you want to walk in the woods? (laughs) When a bear associates food with people, it will enter garbage cans, campsites, picnic areas, cars, and any place people keep food. It will come uninvited, fearless, and hungry. You do not want to get into a tangle with a hungry bear who thinks you have food or are food. And this is why I, 
I don't, it's Sarah who drags me into these things, okay? <laughs> I like to walk in good old Britain where, you know, the worst thing you're going to encounter is a squirrel. <laughs> the dogs here in verse 6, look at them. They are not cute little Andrex puppies. Now, I don't know how old you have to be to understand that illustration, but they, these are not your cute dogs. These are street dogs, scavengers. They are lean and hungry and slathering. They're closer to wolves that Jesus has got in mind here than to domestic pets that we're familiar with. And the pigs, well, pigs in Palestine there would probably be more like what we would call wild boar. I mean, you can picture those. They're dirty, they're powerful, they're big, they're tusked. They run at you sort of thing in the, in the woods, right? So they share these common traits, the pigs and the dogs here in this illustration. They'll eat anything that's offered to them, and they're violent. They're dangerous. If you stand before those pigs, let's look at Jesus' picture here, and you pull out a handful of pearls from your pocket and throw them out in front of these, this slathering horde, they're going to think it's food, right? That's the first instant. They think, oh, food, mm, lovely. Uh, but then when they try it, they find it unpalatable. You can't eat pearls. You can be sure that they are going to not just spit them out and trample on them, but like the bears, they're going to turn their attention to you. You've now been associated with this, and off they go. Now, what are your pearls? What are these pigs and dogs Jesus is warning about? Well, the pearls in this ver verse, look at what they're paralleled with. They're paralleled with that which is sacred. That which is sacred, pearls. What is our sacred treasure, our greatest treasure? There's surely nothing greater as treasure than the gospel itself, the good news about Jesus, who himself is, is, is described, isn't he, as the pearl of great price. We are instructed not to throw that, that treasure, not to cast that treasure out, to, to share it and to explain it with anyone who is a pig or a dog, self-evidently. The illustration is pretty clear. We're to hold back the proclamation of the gospel. That sounds strange, doesn't it? To hold back the proclamation of that good news from those who clearly despise it, who don't appreciate it for what it is, who find it so unpalatable that they become enraged towards us because of it. Have you ever met those, those kind of people? You met them? The first Christian missionaries certainly did, didn't they? Read through the book of Acts. They met them all the time. On numerous occasions, the Apostle Paul exercises this kind of discernment. And what does he do? He wisely walks away, takes his pearls with him. Consider this, this little excerpt from, from Acts 13 in Pisidian Antioch. Acts 13, 45, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, we had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and don't consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Spot the pigs and dogs. Can you see? See what Paul does? 
Perhaps the most memorable example, actually, in the New Testament of this, of this principle in practice is Jesus himself. In his response, I think, to, to King Herod. Do you remember that? Here's King Herod, the man who has heard and, and come under the conviction of, in many ways, the preaching of John the Baptist. So much so, he's had him put in prison. He's listening to him regularly. But actually, he ends up having John, John the Baptist's head cut off because of John's preaching, really. Instead of repenting, he has him killed. And now at the end of the Gospels comes a time for Jesus' trial. And Herod eagerly arranges to have an audience with this great rabbi Jesus that he's never met. What does Jesus do? He utters not one word to him. Stands silent before this pig, this dog. We need to learn the same kind of discernment. It's a hard thing, isn't it? Requires much wisdom. I want you to notice four things just as we finish from this illustration that maybe will help you. The first thing is this, is that our message is pearls, not common stones. The gospel is a precious thing. Make no doubt. There is nothing of greater value than knowing that your sins have been forgiven, that you are accepted by God, that you have eternal life. That is a great, great treasure. There should be nothing in this world of greater concern to you than your soul. As Jesus himself says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? If you care about your soul, you need to come to Jesus. You need to come now. Only he can give you eternal life. That's a message. That is a message that is beautiful and valuable. It is too good to keep to ourselves, brothers and sisters. We want to share that message, don't we? How can we hoard that treasure whilst the world around us is in spiritual poverty, desperate need? So that's the first thing. Our message is pearls. But secondly, not everyone will recognize that pearl for what it is. They just won't. You will encounter people like this. There will always be those who reject it, those who find it hard to swallow. And thirdly, some of those who reject it will actually mock it and mock us and even turn on us. That's what Jesus is saying here. We should expect this. And so we need to learn discernment about when it is that we should hold our peace and walk away. When to put our efforts, as Paul does in Acts 13, to better use elsewhere and to see wonderful fruit from that. But fourthly, in spite of this, we're also called to love our enemies, aren't we? Just a few verses earlier. And to pray even for those who persecute us. We don't give up on them. We're just discerning about the opportunities that are in front of us. How many times has it happened that those who have formerly mocked or reacted with violence to the gospel actually ended up coming to Christ later on down the road? And often, here's the point, what was it that turned them around? The, the, the undeserved love, the salt and light of those that they had once been spiteful towards is a powerful thing in driving people back, making them think again about what they've heard. 
So here is what Jesus says about judgment in verses 1 to 6. And we need to learn to judge carefully in every situation. Let us judge ourselves ruthlessly. Judge yourself ruthlessly by the light of God's word. But let us judge others gently. And let us judge opportunities wisely. And let us do all these things with the help of and for the glory of our King. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way that the, the sharp, double-edged sword of your word exposes our sinful thoughts and attitudes. May we be a people quick to repent and to return to you. Father, forgive us for being judgmental for failing to be merciful towards others, just as you have been towards us. Father, forgive our hypocrisy. May we be a blessing to each other, even in this church, rebuking and correcting one another with loving gentleness, with wisdom, with skill, that we might all become more like you. And may, may we learn to be discerning proclaimers of your gospel too, telling abroad the grace that you've lavished on us so that men and women and children would be drawn into your kingdom and come to know for themselves your Son, in whose good name we pray. Amen.